Hello and welcome to the Joy of Aquatics. Today's guest, Natalie Livingston, talks to us about the article she wrote, Water Safety Tips from a Mum Who Investigates Drownings. Now, I first saw this article on Facebook and when I saw it, it had over 37,000 shares. That's a hell of a lot of shares. And that was probably June last year. Now, Natalie has received a lot of attention over this article and rightly so, as she has been able to articulate so well what many swimming teachers haven't been able to or are not comfortable saying. I cannot thank Natalie enough for this article and I loved it that much. I just had to find her and get an interview for the podcast so I could share it with everyone else as well. Now, here's what happened when I spoke with Natalie. But please be aware, I was up well before 5am to get this interview, hence my rough husky voice. And I just could not get myself out of bed any earlier for a vocal warm up. But uh, she's absolutely amazing. And here's what she had to say. Nat, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. I live in Southern California and I've lived here my whole life. Um, I've actually been in aquatics for almost 25 years now. Um, I started out teaching backyard swim lessons. My mom's best friend was a swim instructor, so I got sucked into that, which transitioned into a lifeguarding career. And um, I managed several water parks over the last 23-ish years and was the general manager of a water park for the last for 10 years before about four years ago, I kind of transitioned into the consulting side. So right now we do accident and drowning investigations. Our firm has done over almost 900 of them at this point. Um, we do risk consulting for operations and um, we also do expert witness work if drowning events get into um, trial. Um, I'm a mother. I have two children. My daughter is just turned nine and her name is Taylor and my son is Max and he's six and a half. Wow. You sound just like many of us swimming teachers over here. So I, I don't, a lot yeah. of that resonated quite strongly with me. It's what you do sounds really, really interesting, um, especially with the whole investigations. How is that? How does that affect you? Um, it depends. I think every event is kind of different for me. Um, I take pride in the fact that I know as an operator and as somebody who has trained lifeguards and trained people to swim, um, that I'm there to be able to help in a time of crisis. And um, it's not fun or easy or, you know, easy to watch. We have a lot of video footage that, you know, fortunately we're able to learn from these days, but also unfortunately doesn't make it easy to watch. So it's a balance, but I feel like definitely my purpose and, you know, is doing good in an industry and, you know, drowning is just, so important for us to focus on so yeah. that's kind of where where I stay in that lane what are the drowning rates like in California um, I just saw a statistic over the last I think it was 10 years that almost 18 over 1800 drownings uh, have taken place in California so um, you know I think those states that are close to water um, you know it's very common in California to have a backyard pool or to have a community pool or you know, go to a water park or those kind of things. So, um, you know, I think the same thing with Texas and Florida, we're kind of along those same same numbers, but culturally water is everywhere here. And I've noticed when I was living there and also 
um, when I've just recently visited, there's no fencing. There's a lot of a lot of houses in California. You walk out of the back of the house and you're in the pool area straight away. There's no fencing between the house and the pool area. It's all one. Yeah, um, I think culturally it's kind of a. I mean, there are, oper- you know, our homeowners that have pools and have fences, but aesthetically it's not a kind of accepted thing. And I think a lot of people prefer the look of not having a fence and they use more of a temporary fence um, and they just take it down when they need to. So I definitely have noticed that. Yeah, I, I do remember some of the houses that I used to teach at. I had a mobile swim school when I was in the States and some of the houses I used to teach at, um, they would have an alarm on the back door if their kids were very young. So they would know if their kids went out the back door and they'd be like, no, don't go to the pool. So I thought that was pretty clever if they didn't have a pool fence between the back door and the pool. So, yeah. I personally have chosen not to have a pool for obvious reasons in my backyard, but I definitely am a proponent of those fences and layers. We always talk about restricting access. Yes. So that's important. Yeah, that is. It is really important. And it's something that Laurie Lawrence has worked on very heavily here in Australia. So good. Thanks, Laurie, for helping us reduce those drowning rates here in Australia. So Uh the reason I really wanted to speak with you, Natalie, was because of this article that you wrote and 10 water safety tips from a mum who investigates drownings. So I read this and I found it very touching. I was really, really moved by what you had written as a teacher and as someone who works in the aquatic industry here in Australia and realises that drowning is definitely an issue and especially in other places in the world. Like in Australia, we've got a pretty good system, I think. And I just think that there are places in the rest of the world that are missing the point. And this article that you've written, I think, hits home on so many different levels that swimming teachers around the world just, it, it truly resonates with us. So firstly, I just want to say thank you for writing it. Thank you. Um, Thank you. One of the things you talk about in there is safety briefings. And I absolutely love this because you talk about rules creating boundaries. Can you tell the listeners a little bit about what you say to your kids? Yeah, I think it's clarifying expectations. Um, You know, and sometimes we do this as parents going into a store, right? I expect good behavior. I expect good listening don't touch anything or use one finger touching or, you know, stay inside the cart or whatever, whatever the parameters are. And I think the same thing should be done um, before kids are allowed to get in a pool. So I always do a safety briefing. What do they need to know if, you know, we're going to look at the pool shape. This is a pool we've never been to. These are the areas you're allowed to go. And it might be different for my son or my daughter. This is where I'm watching from. Um, This is where you can jump in from. This is where you can't jump in from. This is the behaviors that I expect from you. So I think as a parent, and I actually learned that from a swim instructor, they used to do that kind of a briefing before they would do swim lessons to clarify, you know, their expectations and their boundaries. Um, That is an important thing we can do to have a safety parameter. I think so often we just let kids run into a pool and it's super fun or, you know, a facility or a beach, and we don't take the time to actually get them in that safe mindset. I think it's fantastic. I think a lot of us do this on some level, but probably not to the extent that you've actually written about in the article. And the next point that you go into is about depth 
of water versus height in respect to the children's airway as well. So even briefing them on something as specific as that is something that I probably have never thought about going into such specifics with them because it's something that I assume that they're already aware of because we spend so much time in the water. So this is something that I'm definitely going to be doing with my kids and I'm, I'm blown away that you've actually put into words some things that so many swimming teachers have always thought but have never been able to articulate. So can you just yeah. explain to everyone, because I know it touches again on boundaries, um, the depth of depth of water versus height in respect to children's airways. What do you say to your kids with that? Yeah, so we took out a good old-fashioned tape measure and measured them, and I wanted to just kind of educate them. I want to teach my kids overall um, how them, how they can make good, safe decisions and they can start that critical thinking process too because my hope is that they end up as you know water safe um, individuals that can make safe decisions so we started with measuring their height and then transferred that into learning how pools are marked with pool depths and markers and teaching them what the difference is so you know what my son's height is four feet of water is going to be over his head um, you know, and how do we test that when we get to a pool that isn't marked? You know, if you have a backyard pool or if you're going swimming at a commercial facility that has it marked. But I think they need to know those things and be able to have those conversations of, okay, I, I'm going to stay in this three and a half foot area. And the reason I'm asked to stay there is because I can touch where the water is below my mouth and below my airway. Um, and they're smarter than, um, you know, sometimes I think we give them credit for, um, but just kind of getting them aware of their you know, their space and their boundaries and um, how that relates to depth of water, I think is so critical. Yeah, I actually avoid the school pool parties as much as possible, mm -hmm. but we have hosted a number of birthday parties in our, in our swim school facility. And there was one point there, the parents were just completely oblivious to a child that was out of their depth. We've, we've had to perform a rescue. So it it's so easy for a child to get out of their depth. It's just such a simple solution because the kids totally get it. They totally understand that. Yeah, and I think a lot of times they think, oh, mom's just making me stay in the shallow water because she doesn't think I can swim or she doesn't. But when they understand that it's no, it's because you are shorter than your sister and your airway hits here, they understand that a little bit better rather than, well, mom just says so and she's just being mean. Yeah, and I love the line that you've got in there and it says, once you have this conversation with them, this keeps me away from the... But mum, Jaden gets to go over there and then you can say, well, yes, he's six foot taller than you are, buddy. <laughs> so, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So what is suck, duck and tuck? Yeah, this is a technique um, that I've used to teach my kids how to get away. And so when somebody's struggling, the first thing that people do when they struggle is try to grab for something. That's the panic panic response and so often they grab onto somebody next to them and sometimes that can be you know somebody who isn't a good swimmer sometimes you know whether it be a kid or an adult and then we have two people that are struggling in the water and I saw this firsthand we went to a, a pool party for a softball league and actually ended up jumping in in my full clothes because um, a little boy got freaked out he went a little too deep and he grabbed onto a little four-year-old next to him and the four-year-old was a fine swimmer by herself with nobody hanging on to her. Um, but once somebody grabbed onto her, then it was panic for both of them. So 
I teach my kids to suck, duck, and tuck, which is suck in some air. If you can get your head up to grab a quick breath, um, tuck down, duck down underneath the water, and tuck, push away. So the person who's struggling, they don't want to go underwater, so they'll usually let you go at that point. And then pushing yourself away, coming up and calling for the nearest adult to go get the person who was in trouble. Um, but so often kids aren't taught of a way to how to deal with somebody who grabs onto them. And I tell, you know, my kids are learning to swim and I'm not worried so much about their swimming ability, but I'm worried about someone grabbing onto them. Um, you know, even me, it would be very hard for me to tread water and keep somebody up. Um, you know, as lifeguards, we use flotation devices um, when we do rescues for that reason. Um, so the same thing with kids, just giving them a technique and a skill to practice of how to get away. I love that. And it's something that we can all incorporate into our swimming lessons as well. I'm yeah, pretty sure just the if, idea of personal space. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I'm pretty sure if we if we stick to suck, duck and tuck at a very young age, they're not going to be adding in any F words to that. I'm, I know if I taught that to my daughter, she'd be like, yep, got it, mum. And if I taught it to my son, he'd be like, he, 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 that rhymes with. So, but no, yeah. that's, yeah, I, th I think that's great. Suck, duck and tuck and get away. That's awesome. And your distraction reminders. That's pretty intense. You, what you've got on your phone, you, you put an alert on your phone every minute. Yeah, I did this as a trial run. Um, and it's actually a lot looser than lifeguards. And we lifeguard and teach, we kind of, um, you know, different agencies have a 30 second parameter where you're able to recognize and respond within 30 seconds. And some of them even break that down until 10 seconds. You have 10 seconds to observe your zone. So technically every 10 seconds, you should be looking at everybody in your water. So yeah. for me, a minute was like 10 times the amount of that. And it's amazing how quickly your mind wanders. I know people think like, oh, it's just a minute. But I did it and was so amazed that even with all of the knowledge that I have and the, you know, staying focused and how easily my mind just wandered into, oh, I looked at my dog really quick. And I was thinking about this over here. And so it was just a second layer of, it was kind of a, I started it as a, judging how focused I was yeah. right personally I wanted to see watching my kids how focused I was and you know we're all humans you know and if our brains just we let them wander they start to wander that's their job yeah. so we have to like battle against that so that was one of those ways that I kind of kept myself focused yeah and that's that's fantastic I mean when I read what you've written about distraction reminders I'm like wow man that is that is really crazy every 60 seconds but you're right lifeguards you should be scanning well again depending on the agency that you you are with that is what we teach our lifeguards you should be scanning you should be able to see your zone every 10 seconds and you should be able to reach a person in distress within 30. so for 60 seconds on your phone that is a lot less than a lifeguard but when you actually think about every minute you it, it brings to your next point really quickly that you need to take designated breaks and lifeguards do take breaks like in Australia a lot of facilities will rotate their lifeguards every 15 minutes into a different position um, and then after about 45 minutes they'll end up on a on a rotation where they're not actively supervising you know with having a, an alarm or a, an alert set on your phone every 60 seconds to then going you know what yeah I need a break because the break is not always about the kids. It is about you. Absolutely. And watching water, I mean, being a lifeguard, is, it's a mental task, right? Paying attention is a mental task. So 
Um, and that's exhausting. I remember coming home and like just go wanting to go right to sleep because after you spent, you know, six, eight hours trying to stay focused, um, it, it wears on you. So definitely designated breaks for my kids. And they know it's, I mean, if I let them, they would swim all day, yeah. right? They're like little fish and mermaids, but, yeah. um, you know, reeling them back in and being like, I, that's great. You can still swim, but you need to take a break because I need to take a break. <laughs> Definitely. The next thing that you raised, limited trust. Oh my goodness. You have put into paper exactly what I have been too afraid to say out of offending people. And I love the way you've written it because you've called me out on it and now I have to get over it. So can you just explain to everyone what you're talking about with limited trust? Well, I think it's the idea of full responsibility. And I want to be the person who's fully responsible for my kids, not the lifeguard or not someone else. And I just seen so often in our drowning investigations where, you know, a neighbor has taken a kid to a pool and something happens or the grandparents took them to a pool or their cousin or something. And it that's devastating to have to watch or go through another person feeling that responsibility of not watching a kid. Um, or something happening under their watch. And so I I never want anyone else to have to deal with that with my kids. I would rather me deal with that. So the limited trust is, you know, I'm going to put boundaries in place. If you're going to grandma's, my kids went to grandma's for, you know, we call it grandma camp for the summer, and they have a pool there. And my kids know how to swim, which is great, but they're still going to wear a life jacket when I'm not there watching. Um, you know, my daughter's working on the butterfly and, you know, she can tread water forever, but um, it's more so I don't want my mom, their grandma, to have that responsibility. Um, and so my trust is very limited with what we do as far as, you know, school parties and camps and, and that kind of stuff. So that's kind of where the limited trust came about. But really, it starts with me personally taking on that responsibility rather than passing it to other people. Yeah, this is something that I have felt really uncomfortable with in the past and I've never known how to say anything. Perfect example, I'm, I'm heading away in a couple of weeks and my daughter is actually going mm-hmm. camping with a school friend and I have been feeling really concerned about that for quite some time. So I know that I actually need to talk to my daughter and her friend that she's going with and talk to her her friend's parents as well and have that conversation about water safety yeah I've got I've got to get over it I get over it now and my daughter might still be here or not get over it let her go and then the worst situation could potentially happen so it's a conversation that we really do need to have and think about who we're trusting with our children so many times we see um young teenagers responsible for other kids when they come into a massive facility so very young teenagers responsible for very young children and in in that case we don't actually let them in the facility but it's amazing how parents are quite trusting with their children with other people it's it's very amazing yeah Yeah, and i think part of that is they don't they don't want to you know not be the fun parent or they don't want to not give their child experiences and to me I'm going to give my child those experiences. You know, we're going to go to the parties that I can attend and we're going to go do the things that I can do um, because I can, you know, be involved in that kind of uh, activity and control that. And, you know, that might not be everybody's cup of tea, but on the other side, if something happens, I'll know 
you know, where my trust boundaries are. So it's kind of a personal, personal decision, but you definitely, like you said, you know, have to be comfortable with it. And if you have that anxiety or that uncomfortableness, there's a reason for that. So, um, you know, you got to get to the bottom of it and make yourself feel comfortable before you give the green light. Yeah. And you mentioned the same thing about school camps and, and everything. And I think that's a lot of thing that a lot of parents don't think about, you know, yeah, they do go swimming on school camps. They do, they do that right. kind of stuff. Um, and unless parents are involved in the school swimming program itself or are going away on camp with them, you do place a lot of trust in teachers uh, to know exactly what's going on in that aquatic situation. Right. And drowning, you know, it's not just swimming ability, right? No, it's, that's um, right. You know, there's a lot of medical events that happen that, you know, if a kid has a seizure on the basketball court, it's not that big a deal. You know, he's going to have oxygen to be able to breathe. They're going to be able to find him quickly. But if that happens in a lake or in a pool, you know, recognition um, can be delayed and that can be deadly. So, um, you know, it's not for me, it's not just swimming, you know, and knowing how to swim. There's a lot of other factors that go into it as well. Yeah, for sure. And I guess that is why it is so important to be wearing life jackets when, when you're not there. So I know a lot of teachers in Australia, and I've, I've been guilty of this, to say, keep them out of life jackets and supervise. Be there and, and supervise. But it's such a great idea that if you can't be there, those life jackets need to go on. Right. Well, and there's certain, certain situations. I want my kids to be able to make the decision about a life jacket or not. You know, I told that we took them to a water park and there was 2000 people in a wave pool that had currents and lots of people. Are they going to wear a life jacket there? Yes. But then we went in the lazy river that was only two and a half feet deep that they could easily stand in. And there was tubes and fun. Did they have to wear a life jacket there? No. Do we wear life jackets when we go stand up paddle boarding in the ocean or we're going wakeboarding? Yes, I even wear a life jacket. Um, Do we wear a life jacket when we're swimming at grandma's and I'm watching you? No, but do we wear one when we're going to a birthday crazy party where there's 20 kids and I can't really see the bottom? Yes. So um, for me, it's a balance. Life jackets are a part of water safety. Can you learn to swim in them? No, they, but they are a layer of protection that I think is super important. And I don't think a, an all or nothing, one or the other um, is the approach that I've taken. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a blended approach. And I think it's, I think it's a really good idea. You know, even when people are doing their bronze medallion uh, in Australia with Royal Lifesaving, they have to be able to swim 50 meters in a life jacket. So I think it's important that kids still and, and we've done it in our swimming lessons at the swim school before where, you know, you put the life jackets on kids, you get them to feel it and experience it so they can understand what it's about. So I, th- I think that blended right. version of having kids understand aquatic safety with and without life jackets is, is, a, is great. It's a fantastic example that right. you set for think, everyone. Yeah, and people, you know, tr- say the argument against them is, you know, well, it's a false sense of security. I don't think it's a false sense of security. It is a sense of security. And that's why we use it. And I kind of equate it to, you know, seatbelts in cars. You know, I'm a safe driver. I'm going to do everything I can not to get into a car accident, but I'm still going to wear my seatbelt. I'm still worried about other people or medical events or things that are outside of my control. And I think water safety is the same, the same way, you yeah. know, 
Um, learning to swim is definitely a layer, but life jackets and certain circumstances or certain environments, we wear those too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, you've, you've hit the nail on the head, Natalie. I, I totally agree. Thank you again for this article. Absolutely. Uh, the next point you've got there is educate, and that's something that we do a lot about in Australia with educating, but a lot of parents see I just want my kids to learn to swim, and they don't want to turn up when we do the safety stuff. So a lot of swim schools are moving away from water safety weeks and incorporating it within everything that they do, which is what we should be doing anyway. So it's great to see that swim schools are getting on board with that. But I love that you talk about breath-holding games with the kids, why they can and can't do certain things when they're out in the pool. Your phrase, hey, watch this. Can you tell us a little bit about that one? Yeah, well, I just like to give the reasons behind things to why we don't hold our breath prolonged. And, um, you know, my kids kind of have the benefit of seeing, you know, videos. They probably have a little bit, you know, more context than most kids. But I don't think, I think giving kids a realistic view of what things look like without scaring them gives them the confidence to recognize things and be able to uh, appreciate, you know, the dangers of water with also giving them the confidence to be able to enjoy it safely. Um, phrases like I teach my kids, hey, watch this, is usually um, going to follow or going to precede a behavior that is pushing the limits to me. So it's kind of a show off or something dangerous or, you know, I picture like I'm on the edge of this, you know, high high cliff and I'm going to do a twist and I'm going to try to land and and we just don't do that, right? If we're yeah. doing things just, just to show off, that's not a, a safe attitude around water. So it's just a phrase that when I hear it, we talk about, you know, why we're not doing that. Um, you know, and for every kid at different age level, that might be something different. Yes. And I think getting them into that appropriate attitude before they get in, which is what you talk about with your safety briefings, is absolutely perfect. One of the one of the last things that I'd really love to chat with you about is your see something, say something. Can you tell us a little yeah. bit about that one? Yeah, I've seen so often in you know our drowning investigations of kids or people in water who are aware of somebody underwater but don't do anything. And that's probably like the most painful thing to watch is, you know, a kid in distress or unconscious under the water and other kids swimming around them, looking at them in their goggles or adults just walking and looking by. And a lot of that is, you know, our protective mechanism. We want to assume the good. We assume that the person underwater is playing. We assume that they're holding their breath. We assume that they're down there on purpose. We assume that they're just turtle floating and they're doing it intentionally. And that assumption can get us in trouble. So I educate my kids about that and then give them a strategy of how to respond. So Anytime they see somebody on, in the water and the person is not moving, I want them to count backwards, five, four, three, two, one. And if nothing changes or they're still concerned at one and the person hasn't popped up and said something or taken a breath, they need to alert somebody. And that gives them something to do um, because otherwise they're just going to continue to replay that. I think they're holding their breath. What are they doing? They're blowing bubbles underwater or that looks weird or I've never seen somebody do that before or why are they playing like that and to give them the knowledge that they're not always playing and if you think something's weird we all have that instinct in us that hey that's not right 
count backwards, use the five second rule, five, four, three, two, one. And if nothing's changed, let an adult know so we can go fix it. Um, or tell them, make sure they're not playing, make sure or just say, hey, how you doing? Um, but we can at least respond. Yeah, I think that is so powerful and giving kids those tools to be able to feel useful and feel helpful. I guess it feels like for them, they actually have purpose and meaning. They get to... Right, and they just they just need to have a strategy of how to approach it and that it's okay to say something and I want you to say something. Yeah. Um, and, you know, they're a part of that safety team too. They have eyes and they're close and they're in the water and, you know, hopefully they're using a buddy system, but they should be aware of their surroundings and be able to be a, be a part of the water safety team, you know? Yeah, and the other thing that I absolutely loved in, in this article, what, what your daughter said to you, I'd say something to you or another adult until you responded. So she wouldn't allow allow that situation to be brushed off. She would actually keep going at someone until they responded. Right. Yeah, and that's perfect. Teaching them that persistence is is really important. So that's fantastic. Natalie, thank you so much for your time. Is there anything else that you'd like to add or or let us know? No, I mean, I just like to thank you for what you guys are doing, you know, on the other side of the earth. It's like the same mission and focus that, I, you know, I have here. The more people we have, um, you know, focusing on water safety and teaching swim lessons, uh, you know, hopefully we can, you know, educate more people, make them aware and reduce those drowning rates and use water safely. So just thank you for everything you're doing and all of your education. And gosh, that's amazing. You're welcome. All right, Natalie, thank you so much for your time today. No problem. Thank you, Joy. I had such a great chat with Natalie. She is so easy to talk to. Now, I will make sure that I have a link to the article in the comments, uh, and I'll also post it on my Facebook page as well. It is such a great read. Teachers, please share this article with as many of your students' parents as possible. And swim school owners and operators, let's get this advice out into newsletters too. Now, the big kickers for me out of all of this was limited trust. Now, in the interview, I did tell you all about my daughter going away with her school friend. And I would like to report that I did speak with the dad of the school friend and I spoke with both girls as well. Now, I spoke to them about height versus depth, uh, the suck, duck and tuck uh, and phrases like, watch this. Uh, I did also speak to them about if they see something, say something. So I was very happy when she arrived home safely. So that was great. Thank you, Nat. Now, the other big, big kicker was see something, say something. Teaching kids to do the count from five back to one and report it. That for me was huge as well as um, an in-depth safety breach, a safety breaching, safety briefing at each venue that they go to. I think that's, that's a phenomenal idea as well. I probably have done it a little bit, but nowhere near as in-depth as Natalie was saying. Natalie's stance on life jackets is a blended method and she probably gets kids in life jackets more than what I have done and I think it's a great perspective and it totally makes sense. Uh, so teachers, owners, operators, help me get this message out there to as many of the families as we can so that we can have a safe summer. I hope you've all found this episode useful. 
and I hope that you and your families and students have a safe and wonderful summer. Happy swimming.